Back in high school, there were three Shakespearean plays that we had to read. Romeo and Juliet, Julius Caesar, and Macbeth. Few people looked forward to these. I think the most exciting part was the rumor that after you read Romeo and Juliet in grade 9, you got to watch the movie version, and in that movie, they showed Romeo's bum. This was before the 1996 DiCaprio Danes version. But foolishness aside, my favorite of these three required readings was Macbeth, by a long shot. It literally opens with witches doing witchy things. You can't get much more Halloween than that. How could I not love it? Our drama club even wrote our own play based on Lady Macbeth called Retribution for the Regional Drama Festival, and it was there that I learned that we should never say Macbeth in the theater. Rather, we should only refer to it as the Scottish play. I took that in much the same way as I took the advice to avoid certain spaces because they were fairy paths, or to try not to freak out if I was ever visited by the hag. Weird? Probably not true. But he did anyway, just in case. But everything has some root cause, and the reason why Macbeth is a cursed play is some weird. Welcome to the Some Weird Podcast, a podcast about strange and unusual stories told by us, a sister and brother team hailing from the island of Newfoundland. I'm your co-host, Chrissy. And I'm your co-host, Barry. In this episode, we're going to take a look at a question that I've wondered since high school. Why can't you say Macbeth in the theater without casting a curse? It seems like one of those things that everyone just accepts and everyone just knows. I don't know why, but hopefully we'll be able to shed some light on it. Yeah, for sure. Let's get it going. All right, I'm going to start here now with a summary of Macbeth. Anyone who has forgotten the play, shout out Mrs. Hurley, who taught us this play back in whatever grade we did it in. 11, I guess, right? No, it was Mr. Connolly for me, actually. Oh, okay. Shout out to Mr. Connolly, too. I had him for other things. Shout out to all Bishop O'Neill teachers. Go Knights. Yay, Knights. All right, moving on. Let's do a summary of Macbeth. So Macbeth is set in Scotland back in the 11th century. It opens with three witches talking about getting together again after this battle is over to meet with the titular Macbeth. Then we meet two bigwigs in the Scottish army. They're named Macbeth and Banquo, who have just kicked some arse in the same battle that the witches said they were going to meet after. They're both feeling pretty stoked there amongst the wreckage uh, when they come across these same witches from the beginning. Not thinking that this is weird at all, they strike up a conversation. The witches tell Macbeth that he's going to be the Thane of Cawdor, and eventually he's going to become King of Scotland. Nope, thinks Macbeth. Then they tell Banquo that he won't be king, but his descendants will be. He's like, um, okay, sounds great. And then the witches disappear in a puff of smoke before elaborating. Shortly thereafter, King Duncan of Scotland bestows Macbeth with the title of Thane of Cawdor due to his proven kick-arsery in the battle. So those wrinkly-ass hags, they said it was going to happen, and then it just happened. Logically, if that part of their prediction was true, then Macbeth is definitely going to become king. Of course. What else would you think? So Macbeth sends a message to his wife, Lady Macbeth, to say that he's got this shiny new title, and some witches also predicted that he's going to be king, and, unrelated, the king is going to come to the castle for a visit. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Kind of shitty how Lady Macbeth doesn't have an actual name. Yeah, it's Lady. She's like a dog. (laughs) Lady. She's like the the Sticks song, isn't it? (laughs) Is it Sticks? Is it Sticks? (laughs) Sticks or Journey or one of those kind of guys. One of those 80s bands. 
when Ted listens to this, he's going to be like, it sticks or whatever it is. Anyway, so Lady Macbeth, the nameless, just Lady, uh, convinces her husband that since it's going to happen anyway, they should help the timeline along and murder King Duncan while he's visiting. Yeah, speed it up. (laughs) Yeah, she got shit to do. Uh, Mr. Macbeth, which I will now call him since she's Lady Macbeth. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Mr. Macbeth is like, bruh. And Lady Macbeth is like, you're a pussy. And Mr. Macbeth says, fine. So they make a plan to drug the king's guards, stab the king to death, and blame the murder on the guards by laying the bloody daggers next to them. Perfect. Yep. The plan goes off without a hitch. Next day, some other dude called Macduff, who I can only think (laughs) about the beer from The Simpsons. I think it was Scrooge McDuck. Oh, Scrooge McDuck, yeah. Um, maybe it's a combination of Scrooge McDuck and Duff Man from The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Duff Man is sad. <laughs> so uh, McDuff pops over to the Macbeths and he discovers the murdered body of the king. This is a terrible sight. The Macbeths make a whole big show of it, and they're like, oh, my God, the king is dead, and these guys murdered them. <laughs> so right away, Mr. Macbeth murders the guards because, obviously, they were the ones who killed the king. Yep. King Duncan's two sons, the rightful heirs, I guess, Donald Bain and Malcolm, nope the fuck out of Scotland. They figure someone just killed dad, so we're probably next <laughs> on the hit list. Yep. Donald Bain goes to Ireland. We never hear of him again. And Malcolm goes to England. Macbeth is chosen as the new king of Scotland, and bada-bing, bada-boom, witches, prophecies achieved. Macbeth goes crazy with power and paranoia, and Lady Macbeth is crushed under the weight of guilt. She starts sleepwalking and trying to wash invisible blood off her hands. Side note, uh, at the time that this play was written, sleepwalking was seen as something supernatural. And side note number two, the whole Lady Macbeth situation is what we based our play Retribution on. So out, out, damn spot, right? Is that that part? Yeah, out, damn spot, out, I say. One, two, why then tis time to do it. That whole business. Back from our little play to the actual Macbeth play. So Macbeth figures that if he murdered to help the witch's prophecies for him come true, then maybe Banquo and his son Fleance, what the fuck name is that, uh, might do the same thing, right? Because after all, Fleance or Banquo's descendants were predicted to eventually become the king as well, right? Yeah. So Macbeth hires two skeets to go murder the son Fleance and and Banquo too, uh, just in case, because maybe he's going to have some more kids, who knows, after Fleance is dead. The skeets kill Banquo, but Fleance escapes, and the ghost of Banquo comes back to haunt Macbeth. Macbeth is a little bit on edge over this. I guess the witch situation was fine, but seeing a ghost really just put him over the fucking edge. <laughs> So he goes to seek out some witches again to tell him what the hell's on the go now. And this is when the whole double-double boil in trouble, you know, eye of newt toe frog, that's this scene. So the witches tell him, be afraid of Macduff man. (laughs) No, just (laughs) Macduff. And also, stop worrying because no man born of a woman can harm him. And his kingly title is going to be safe until Burnham Wood reaches his castle. So quit your bellyache and you're fine. So Macbeth does the next logical thing, according to his crazy-ass mind, and he gets a couple more skeets to go to Macduff's castle and wipe out all hands. Macduff has fled to England by this time to band with Duncan's son, Malcolm, so the skeets only get to murder Lady Macduff and the Macduffflings. Meanwhile, Macduff and Malcolm are building up an army to take Scotland back from nutjob King Macbeth. 
This army marches northward towards Macbeth's castle, but Macbeth is cool because the witches say that he's safe until Burnham Wood reaches him. And holy shit, what's that? The army got a bunch of branches from Burnham Wood, and they use it as camouflage to make their way all the way up to Macbeth's door. Macbeth thinks, though, okay, all right, we're still okay, because no man born of a woman can harm him. And that's when Macduff creeps up and says, I was born by C-section, bitch, and he proceeds to decapitate Macbeth. Malcolm is crowned king of Scotland, and scene. I thought it was the first test tube baby, and that's what... uh... (laughs) I mean, uh, no man born of a woman, what, a C-section is not your uterus? Yeah, sorry, it wasn't a tree. (laughs) I didn't just occur like Mork from Orc. But anyways, that's the summary of Macbeth. I remembered about 10% of that, I'm going to say. Okay. I remember the untimely pluck C-section part. Yeah. I remember the, the witches and I remember the, the out-out-down spot. That's what I remember from Macbeth. Yeah, well, I could have just said those things and that would have been a summary. <laughs> But that's what Macbeth is about. It's taught in every high school, probably anywhere that people speak English. And uh, everyone is familiar with it, I'm sure, even though they may not remember, you know, the whole thing. So hopefully that summary has got the main points there. Yep. Should I go into historical context now before we get into why the fuck this is a cursed play? Yep. All right. Let's talk about when this was written, what was going on at the time and all that kind of shit. Macbeth was written in about 1606 by William Shakespeare, in case you didn't know. (laughs) Billy! (laughs) Now, while we would love to think that as an artist, he wrote all these plays and sonnets to put them out into the ether for all and sundry to enjoy for years and even centuries to come. But it's more likely that he did it for the same reason that everyone in England did anything back in the day, to make a living and to please the monarch. Yep. Now, I'm not saying that his work isn't great, right, or that it hasn't been a major contribution to the greater human collective. I'm just saying that Billy needed to get paid, and the best way for him to hustle was to do it in the name of the king. No, fair enough. I'm sure he wasn't right, and this is going to be something that's going to be taught. (laughs) Once Newfoundlanders are going to do a play based on this and meet the Codco crowd. Four years before Cupid's was uh, (laughs) settled. Yeah, so he did it all in the name of the king. Now, the king at this time was King James VI of Scotland and first of England. So that sounds like two different guys, but it's not. It's the same dude. The monarch before him was Queen Elizabeth I, who famously had no children. She named her cousin James, who had already been king of Scotland since he was only one year old, to be her successor. That's the way they did shit back then. If you didn't have a legitimate heir, you say, that's the person who's going to be next. So that's what she did. And this kind of united the kingdoms of Scotland and England under one sovereign. Now, there was a few things that King James VI of Scotland and I of England was famous for. One, being the target of the failed gunpowder plot. And that's when a bunch of Catholics conspired to blow up Parliament and assassinate this Protestant king in the process. This is the origin of Bonfire Night or Guy Fawkes Night. Oh, really? Which I thought, that's when you drive around to look at the big bonfires. That's when you burn tires. Exactly. But no, it was originally a mandated by act of parliament celebration to remember, remember the 5th of November and the failed gunpowder plot. Is that right? Okay. Number two, being the guy behind the King James Bible. You've heard of the King James Version of the Bible? Um, Now that you say it, I've heard it. To say I I know anything about it or what its context, I, I would be lying if I said 
I didn't realize, I don't even know why, but I didn't realize that we as Catholics don't use the King James Version of the Bible until reading this. But why would we? That would be the Church of England, right? Yeah, which is the Protestants, yeah. Exactly. So basically the King James Bible is, instead of everything being in Latin, it's written in English so people can read it. Number three, being convinced that kings are kings due to divine right. So in other words, a king is directly chosen by God. And number four, his part in witch hating and hunting. Mm. I'm not sure where this semi-obsession with witches started, but you might argue that it started when his new wife, Anna of Denmark, was being shipped to Scotland. It seems that there in the waters between Denmark and Scotland in 1590, a giant storm arose, forcing the ship with the bride-to-be on it to return to Denmark. James knew this had nothing to do with the weather and everything to do with witches, obviously. So he decided he's going to have a good old-fashioned witch hunt. And a witch hunt he did. So James and Anna eventually do get married, and their son Charles I becomes king after James's death. And this is the guy who was assassinated during the English Civil War, led by Oliver Wartsenal Cromwell, whose head was missing from about 1684 when it was posthumously chopped off to 1960. Again, could be a whole other episode on where the fuck was his head. They found it? Yeah. Wow. And they buried it at, at the college he went to. <laughs> yeah, good enough. England is a historically interesting place. I bet you can't walk anywhere without being like, that thing is 500 years old and someone's dead head is in there. <laughs> someone's arm is in the fireplace. You know, it's all crazy. Yeah. But anyway, back to James. He was very much involved with this witch situation in Scotland, so much so that he wrote a book called Demonology, which served as a handy-dandy guide to identify and persecute witches. It was said that during the Scottish witch hunts, thousands of people were accused and convicted of being witches, and the only way to deal with witches is to put them to death. Yeah. Does this instantly bring you to that Monty Python and the Holy Grail scene? It does now that you said that. <laughs> if it's a witch, it's going to waste the same as what? What else floats? A duck. <laughs> Pretty much the same logic, yep. Yeah. Look at her nose. She's a witch. We put that nose on her. <laughs> put that on me. Anyway. Uh, Monty Python is so good. Highly recommend it. <laughs> so good. Um, so they had to kill all these witches, but this is interesting. Nobody ever wondered why these all-powerful creatures never, ever use their devil-given powers to escape being yeah. murdered. <laughs> or to rule or to do something evil, yeah. You know, they just like, they're a witch, we have to kill them. So in this historical context, the bard, William Shakespeare, was to write a brand new play. So he took what he had to work with a newly crowned Scottish king of England, who deeply believed that it was his divine right to rule and who was obsessed with witches. Shakespeare did some research, and his interest was piqued by the 11th century Scottish King Macbeth, who ascended to the throne after assassinating King Duncan. So I didn't even know that Macbeth was based on a true story, sort of like The Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, I say. But it is. And bonus, King James claimed lineage to the real-life Banquo, but unfortunately, the real Banquo took part in the assassination of Duncan. <laughs> but fortunately, artistic license allowed Shakespeare to tweak the story and make Banquo the good guy. And according to the play, his is the line of future kings. So it com you know, comes to pass in real life. Throw in the king's public enemy number one, the witches, and some iambic pentameter, and boom, instant classic. 
all well and good, but the question remains, why is it bad luck to say Macbeth in the theater? Also, what about the actors who say Macbeth per the lines in the play itself? Do they have a magical protection about them? Kind of wonder about that as well. So I think you're going to get into that question. Yeah, I'll get into the curse now. The line, I didn't get too much into the, the line, but I, I did see a quote from Patrick Stewart saying, if you're playing the character, you have to say in the play, it's okay or something to that effect. So, Based on what rule? Based on the rules that they made up. <laughs> Good enough. I mean, what are rules but things that are made up anyway? Exactly. Yeah, I'm certainly no expert or connoisseur of the theater, but I've been aware for a long time, and you mentioned in your intro, that uh, the play Macbeth is cursed. It's just one of those things that people know. It's like part of pop culture, right? For example, I don't know anything about billiards, but I do know Minnesota Fats is a very famous billiards player. Don't know nothing about him. Don't know what he looks like. But if you hear billiards, you think of Minnesota Fats, right? It's the same type of thing, right? I think of the Legion at Christmas time, but that's my own culture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I never really actually put a lot of thought into why the play is cursed. I just, you know, kind of accept it as a general fact. But I guess, uh, you know, as podcasters, we need to get to the bottom of this thing. And uh, I, I've done some <laughs> research on that. So I guess there's some origin stories. And uh, the one that's generally accepted involves Mary, Queen of Scots, and something very near and dear to my heart, witches. <laughs> and uh, there's going to be a little bit of crossover in what you did and what I did. We've said many times we never exchanged notes in that before we actually record to try and get genuine reactions, things like that. All good. Yep. So, why are witches near and dear to my heart? It stems right back to the 1991, and I got that as a question mark, so I'm not sure the exact year, but I think it was 91, our high school production of Retribution, a play that you and I were both involved in. Uh, I was in grade 8, you were in grade 11. Uh, I played a witch. You played the main character, I played a witch. <laughs> so, actually, I was originally cast to play someone to inform Macbeth that the queen, my lord, is dead. And that was my big line. The one time I did it, the director looked at me and said it looked like I polished off a bottle of scotch before I walked on stage. Did he really say that? He did. That's exactly. He said, when you walk on stage, don't walk like you polished off a bottle of scotch. And then I got recast into a witch. <laughs> you would never be able to say that to a grade eight today. God love him. <laughs> yeah, no, I laughed. and Everybody else did too. But anyway, back to the story. This story is very Game of Thrones-like in its nature. Mary, Queen of Scots. She was a mere six days old when she inherited the throne from her father, James V of Scotland. Uh, She was betrothed, which is a very Game of Thrones thing, to Francis, who was the heir apparent of France at the time. She was actually sent to France to be raised there and also be safe from invading English forces. So they were married in 1559, but he died in 1560. So Mary returned back to Scotland in 1561 to rule as queen. She ended up marrying her half-cousin Henry, 1565, again, very Game of Thrones-like. Yeah. In June 1565, she had a son named James. And based on the math, that kid must have been conceived pre-marriage, which was probably was a, a big sin back in those days. But anyway, that's fine. Only for the mother, though. Oh, yeah. It's very much a double standard. Very much. Henry ended up murdering Mary's close friend, David Rizzio. I'm assuming it must have been some kind of romantic relationship there. And because of this murder, their marriage soured. Nothing puts a damper on a marriage like murder. <laughs> yeah, and killing your best friend, yeah. So in February of 1567, their house burned down mysteriously, and he was found murdered in the courtyard. Who was? Mary's husband. Okay. James Hepburn, uh, who was believed to be the one who orchestrated the murder, but he was acquitted of the charge in April of 1567, and the following month, he married Mary. Nothing fishy there. <laughs> no, sir. No. 
So at this time, there's very tense political and religious climate in Scotland, and people were questioning this couple's right to rule. And in July of 1567, not long after married, Mary was abducted and forced to abdicate the throne in favor of her six-year-old son, James VI, which you talked about who ends up becoming the King of England and all that. We'll get that story there. So Mary tried unsuccessfully to uh, regain her throne. When that didn't work, she fled to England to seek protection from her cousin, Elizabeth I. Mary was also the great-granddaughter of Anne-Marie VII, not Anne-Marie VIII, I am, I am. And for that reason, she claimed that she had a right to the throne as well. Even some English Catholics agreed with her claim. Perceiving her as a threat, uh, Elizabeth I confined her to various castles in Inner England and kind of had her in captivity. And after 18 years of her kind of just being locked in castles and things, so I guess it's not really solitary confinement or nothing like that, but uh, she was found guilty of plotting to assassinate Elizabeth and was sentenced to death via beheading. It is very Game of Thrones. Exactly. So this death had a drastic effect on James VI, who is now you know the King of Scotland, and this has kind of inspired his fascination with the dark magic. As you said before, in 1603, James VI of Scotland became James I of England in some sort of kingdom combination superpower. Yeah. His subjects, keen to appease the new king, wrote various pieces of literature, uh, which included witches due to his fascination with them. And of course, one of those, as you discussed, was good old Billy, Mr. William Shakespeare. And as our good friend Ted would say, that was a very long walk to get there. <laughs> While working on this play, Shakespeare researched witches and witchcraft in depth. And as such, that some of the ingredients to various potions and, and things that witches actually do, like the Eye of Newt, the Toe Frogs and all that, they're actually real ingredients to certain spells or, or what people thought were spells during the day. And also the chant, specifically Double Double Toil and Trouble, Fire Burn, Cauldron Bubble. Uh, that was a real chant and a real spell. So it is a belief that a coven of witches objected to Shakespeare using these real references to their witchcraft. And because of that, they actually put a curse on the play as a result. Very meta. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's also said that, you know, saying these words in general caused the curse to happen. So I guess in that sense, the podcast is cursed now since I said it. Okay, I guess we're fucked. That's all right. But yeah, all the thing, the whole reason it was cursed, it all goes back to the belief that these witches, or because of Shakespeare, uh, did this actual witchcraft stuff in this play, that the, they didn't like that, so they decided to curse the play. When we say it's cursed, what exactly does that mean? A lot of examples of things that have gone wrong during productions of, of what we call the quote-unquote cursed play. Actually, before the very first performance ever, the young boy who was selected to play Lady Macbeth, which I don't know why a boy was selected to play Lady Macbeth, Women weren't allowed to be actors back then. Oh, okay. That makes no sense. But anyway. <laughs> they were only allowed to be witches and mothers. <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, so this young boy who was scheduled to play Lady Macbeth, he inexplicably died. And Shakespeare himself had to step in to fill the role the first time. And during the scene where Duncan dies, the prop daggers were replaced with real ones, resulting in the death of the actor playing him. By who? The witches, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> In the very first production? The very ever first production, yeah. Okay, the Lady Macbeth died and the real actor playing Duncan really died. Because he got stabbed because props were replaced with real uh, things. That is not a good opening night. No, yet 400 years it was still being studied to this day. Yeah. Figured I'd be one that would you know, put that one on the shelf. <laughs> but like you said, Shakespeare intended to flatter James uh, with his portrayal in the play and, and you know try to uh, appease him with, with some of the things that he was interested in. But James did not like to play at all, and he said the bloodshed and violence made it unhappy, and he actually had a band. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was actually rewritten in a less violent way, but the first time it was redone in the new version, 
during the production, England had the worst storm in history and several towns and cities were destroyed and over 500 sailors died. You know what this story is reminding me of? The Exorcist. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Right? All this crazy big storms and deaths and everything happened with The Exorcist, which was also supposedly based on a true thing. So it's like a history of repeating itself here, or rhyming, as you would say. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, after this production and the uh, travesty that happened with the big storm, they abandoned this version and went back to the original. So you figure at this point they should have said, you know what, let's just bury this one and go at Romeo and Juliet and Caesar from now on. Yeah, they're not violent at all. All hands die on all of them. (laughs) That's right. Anyway. But anyway, some other examples here. 1849, tensions were rising between immigrants and nativists, and they boiled over during the performance of Macbeth at the Astor Place Opera. The performance was brought to a halt when people started throwing rotten eggs, apples, and all that kind of stuff on the stage. A riot broke out, which resulted in the death of 22 people, and hundreds more got injured. Again, in 1882, there was another performance, and an accidental stabbing occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, 1928, a set fell down on the actors at the Royal Court Theater during rehearsal, seriously injuring cast members. Um, and the day before the opening, the dressing room inexplicably caught fire by the witches. Oh, my. <laughs> Probably not the witches, but... 1937 production at the Old Vic Theatre in London was plagued with problems. Uh, the director and cast member was involved with a serious car accident on their way to the theatre for the rehearsal. Uh, the dog, owned by the owner of the theatre, was hit by a car a few days later. Oh, that's the saddest part of this whole story so far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Lawrence Olivier, who was cast by Macbeth, lost his voice due to illness just before opening night. The whole thing had to get postponed. A 25-pound stage weight fell and narrowly missed him during rehearsal. And the owner, whose dog was hit by a car earlier, died of a heart attack right before the final dress rehearsal, before it actually went on live. Oh, my. Yet people continuously put this play on. Yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, okay. 1970, the actor playing Macbeth died of a heart attack during the middle of Act 2. On the stage? like right, in Right on stage, yeah. Oh, my God. As recent as 1998, which is, you know, usually these things were always 200 years ago. But 1998, actually, Alec Baldwin sliced the hand of a, another actor during the production. There's hundreds of examples of, you know, people doing this Macbeth and, and, you know, all this kind of stuff happened, right? So the real, I guess, explanation is why is it cursed and all that goes back to the old witches and things. But there's a couple other theories. They're probably a little bit more plausible than that to why the play is actually cursed. Okay. The first one, the play is very complicated with a lot of violent scenes, including several sword fights and things like that, and an overall dark setting on stage. So these conditions would dramatically increase the potential for injury during these, you know, productions where, you know, Lighting's not good, and they're doing a lot of sword fighting, so the chances of something happening are a lot greater than, say, non-sword work plays. But that wouldn't explain the things like the guy dying of a heart attack and the car accidents and the storms. But yeah, I see that. You're prone to have more accidents if you're in the dark with swords. (laughs) Exactly. Secondly, it's a very expensive play to produce due to the number of actors and props required, etc. It causes the production to run longer than normal in order to recoup its costs. And thus the increasing chances of things to occur because you got to run it more often than you would a regular play. Oh. Could it also bankrupt a theater due to the cost required to run the production? And, you know, afterwards people say that play is cursed. We tried to do it. Next thing you know, we went bankrupt. I'm kind of surprised at that one because it's one of the, the shortest plays of Shakespeare. Oh, is that right? Okay. And another one is that the play's been around and actively performed for about 400 years, minus, you know, a few things here and there. But for the most part, it's been around for that long. Over that time, there's bound to be mishaps along the way. So if you're doing... Uh, a play that's performed all over the world a lot for 400 years. Something's going to happen eventually, law of averages. Right. That combined with the mythology around it's being cursed will just amplify anytime something does happen. So, oh, that's because of the curse of Macbeth, right? 
No, yeah, it makes it more interesting. Yeah. We know the play is cursed. There's lots of examples of it, and it's well known in the pop culture. But um, is there any way to break the curse? So there's a couple things. First one is, well, never say the name of the play in the theater. It's often referred to as the Scottish play, the cursed play. You never say the dreaded M word. Kind of like abstinence, right? So if you can't get pregnant, if you don't do the deed. <laughs> if you don't say Macbeth, it's not going to happen, right? Exactly. So if you do happen to utter the dreaded M word, what you're supposed to do is leave the theater, spin around three times, spit over your left shoulder, recite a line from any other Shakespeare play, swear, and then knock on the door to get let inside. So you, you walk out, <laughs> spin around, go, say, A2 Brute, you cocksucker. <laughs> what if you get it wrong? <laughs> and then knock at the door and all is well okay well i mean that seems like a really easy way to how do you spit over your shoulder without spitting on yourself spitting on yourself is a small price to pay to, to <laughs> not have a curse play to not get stabbed to death during the production yeah okay this sounds like a way to like make you have to memorize other plays or maybe you just had to memorize one line and then you're good yeah i mean spin around three times like who comes up with that it's kind of foolish Bro, I don't know. I'd love to see someone doing that, though. Overall, when you look at it, the whole reason, the whole mythology behind the play being cursed, it's all due to King James I's fascination with witches. And Shakespeare's, during that time, wanting to appease the king and put in into his plays things that the king would like. So they put witches in it, and it actually <laughs> pissed off the actual witches of the day. <laughs> so they cursed it. Why not? Yeah, and Like I said, it just grows from there, right? So. If you were to look at other Shakespeare plays that have been in production for 400 years or whatever, I wonder, would you see the same or similar amount of tragedy associated with those productions as well? I mean, I'm sure over the 400 years, Hamlet's been produced. Something's happened during the production, right? For sure. I think if you look at it from the historical context, the first time it was ever produced, there's all kinds of tragedy. You know, the person die and Shakespeare having to step in and things like that. So. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts, and then it just grows and grows and grows over 400 years, right? To the point where it's a cursed play. You can't do this, you can't say that. Remember that one time when this happened? Oh, yeah, it's documented that this happened, and it just grew from there, and it's just... They make up a cause and effect. Yeah, that's all I got. All right, I got a couple of quizzes for you. Okay. Oh, I got one quiz for you, sorry. Who said it, William Shakespeare or Taylor Swift? Oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> all right, now you're a big Swifty, right? No, I'm not. I honestly couldn't name one song. <laughs> By far the biggest act going now. Oh, I'm not going to knock her. The woman's a billionaire and she's dating Travis Kelsey. So good on you, missus. All right. So who said it? Shakespeare or Taylor Swift? I got 10. Okay. Number one. Did I close my fist around something delicate? Did I shatter you? Huh. I want to say Shakespeare. Nope. That's Taylor Swift. Okay. Good. That's good start. All right. Number two. Do you miss the rogue who coaxed you into paradise and left you there? <laughs> I'll go Shakespeare again. Nope, that's Taylor Swift. Jesus. I don't know what the songs are. I'm sorry. Okay. People who are listening. And I'm sure you don't either. Yeah. Okay, number three. My tongue will tell the anger of my heart or else my heart concealing it will break. Uh, that sounds very Shakespearean to me. That is Shakespeare. Okay. Number four. Past the curses and cries, beyond the terror in the nightfall. <laughs> I, I, I go Shakespeare again. Nope, that's Taylor Swift. Jesus Christ. You're doing about the same as I did, by the way, with this. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, number five. In black ink, my love may still shine bright. I want to say Taylor Swift. Nope, that's Shakespeare. 
So far, you, I think you got one right. I got one right. Yeah, I, I just changed it just because I felt like saying Shakespeare all the time. So. <laughs> all right. Number six. Now my eyes leak acid rain on the pillow where you used to lay your head. That's pretty shitty music lyrics. So I'm going to say Shakespeare. <laughs> That's Taylor Swift. Jesus. <laughs> all right. Number well, seven. She's so famous. <laughs> she's a poet, man. All right. Number seven. I'd meet you where the spirit meets the bones in Faith Forgotten Land. The spirit meets the bones. <laughs> I don't want to say Shakespeare again because I say it all the time, but I think that got to be Shakespeare. Nope, that's Taylor Swift. Jesus. <laughs> all right. You have three more left. Okay. Your touch brought forth an incandescent glow, tarnished but so grand. Taylor Swift. Yes. All right. <laughs> Two more. Love is merely a madness. Taylor Swift. That's Shakespeare. Okay. <laughs> okay, last one. How can it be said, I am alone, when all the world is here to look on me? Taylor Swift. No, Shakespeare. <laughs> you got two out of ten. <laughs> That's good. That's good. In love averages, I should have got five. <laughs> yeah, I did the quiz as well. It's from BuzzFeed. Yep. And I did about the same as you, I think. I'll give you one. Shake it off. Who's that? <laughs> that's Taylor Swift. I think that's the only one I know. <laughs> it's the only song I know about. Uh, all right, cool. It's good. I don't know anything about Shakespeare, and I don't know anything about Taylor Swift, so I guess I did. I just, <laughs> it shows up quite obviously. It wasn't a fair quiz, I guess, then. There you have it. Why Macbeth is a cursed play. What do you think about this story? You can share your ideas with us at somewheredpodcast at gmail.com. Or on the Twitter or Instagram machine at somewheredpod. Or our website, somewheredpodcast.com. If you haven't done so already, please follow or subscribe wherever you listen so you'll never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed this episode where we get deep into literature. And talk, talk a lot about our high school uh, <laughs> drama club, which I'm sure was, was riveting conversation for everybody out there. I'm sure it was. But if you did like it and you want to help us out, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen so others can discover us. And don't be afraid of witches and to tell a friend about the Some Weird Podcast. Yeah, and again, don't be afraid to reach out. Like I said, we have received some positive feedback in the last little bit, and we really do appreciate it. And it makes us feel good that someone's actually listening. Exactly. Beyond that, curse plays. Some Weird by. Some Weird. <laughs>